VanCast to start the week, and somehow this is the final VanCast of the month of June, which brings us to the midway mark of this screwy 2020 Thomas Drance. Uh, and speaking of screwy, that uh, pretty much sums up Friday night in the NHL draft lottery. Uh, when Look, you told the stories the other day on the last VanCast about being in the room where the lottery balls are actually drawn, mm-hmm. and I, can't, I, I know you told us there were lots of snacks, uh, was there an open bar? Because I have to imagine that there was some team personnel <laughs> that would have been uh, back at that bar a couple of times needing some stiff drinks after what went down uh, with the placeholder uh, winning the draft lottery. Yeah, couldn't have gone worse for the Detroit Red Wings or the Ottawa Senators. Although when you look at it, right, like the placeholder teams had a 24.5% chance at this, right? Like this was the most likely outcome. And... You know, it's very hockey for everyone to freak out about the most likely outcome, right? <laughs> like, that's just classic. Yeah. You know, the at the end of the day, as I thought about it, you know, in real time, and I was on the radio, I was on 1040 with Blake Price and J.D. Burke, who joined us in studio for the draft lottery, and we were losing it, right? We were all laughing and freaking out and making jokes about Team Tank gathering en masse against the recommendations of the provincial health authorities. Like, things got off the rails, But when you, when we, when I sort of sat back after that, you know, I think the one concern I had immediately was there is a chance that you build a powerhouse out of this, right? Just in the event that the Pittsburgh Penguins or, uh, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a really good team that happens to be in the play-in qualifying round, you know, ends up losing that five-game series, which is very possible, and ends up with this first round, first overall pick. Like, you do sort of run the risk of building a juggernaut but as I went back and sort of looked through it and realized that really that was like a one or a two percent shot at the outset and that's if you assume that the series that those teams are playing in are a coin flip they're probably not like really we're talking about a very low probability at the time that the sort of draft lottery was constructed of that occurring you know that's a reasonable risk to protect a system that in my view is necessary to make sure that teams like the Buffalo Sabres don't completely debase themselves in the pursuit of the next Connor McDavid or what have you. So, you know, ultimately, as I sort of thought about it, as I started texting people, as I kind of digested the events, like, I don't, I don't think a 12.5% chance at the pick really changes how any team's going to approach this qualifying round. I don't really think that you know, this is as big a deal as everyone sort of sort of uh, imagines. And, you know, I think it adds drama. Like, the fact that a new fan might find it confusing, I accept. But you're not winning any new fans in the absence of the product anyway. Like, no one who wasn't a hockey fan before is going to become a hockey fan over the next three weeks while teams enter training camp. Like, guess what? There's no growth without the product itself. But what this does do is it does keep the people who care now, like your customers, keeps them talking about hockey. There's 16 teams now that are, like, watching Lafreniere YouTube clips right now, right? Like, there's fans of 16 teams that want their team to get this guy. Like, that's good for the league, I think. And so I've sort of come around. My initial reaction was, this is ridiculous. As as I've taken the weekend to stew on it, J-Pat, I actually think this is a win for the league. Well, a couple of things uh, jump to mind. And look, I, I understand that the the overall lottery is flawed. Like, Canuck fans have gone through this the last bunch of years. Uh, you know, Ottawa fans can 
cry and, and Detroit as well. Uh, but Canuck fans have been in those very spots the last bunch of years. I do think that the odds should be tweaked probably uh, to, to help the bad teams get a little better chance. But I, I'm still a believer in the lottery system overall. But uh, they'll abuse know. it. They'll abuse it. Why should but, we reward but failure, j But Because it's a lottery, and a lottery is designed, yeah, by exactly. definition, a lottery will produce more losers than winners. So there's no guarantees. Like and, and look, we saw Arizona and Buffalo race to the bottom and didn't work, and Conor McDavid ended up in Edmonton. So, you know, there's always going to be that inherent risk. I just think that you can tweak the odds a little bit uh, so that a team like Vancouver that goes into the draft lottery year after year after year, as it did, uh, at some point probably deserved a better fate but lotteries look you and I go and buy 649 tickets we have a chance but we have a way better chance of not winning and and that's you know that's how lotteries uh, exist that's what lotteries are so you know to your point about new fans the only thing that crossed my mind on Friday was some fan in Seattle let's say a fan in Seattle had taken an interest in the NHL hey the NHL's coming to town uh, you, you know, you read up and you hear about this draft lottery and oh, a year from now, Seattle's going to be in this draft lottery. I want to check this thing out. I, what, what does this look like? What is the draft lottery all about? And then you tune into that mess and you're no further ahead if you're a fan in Seattle. I mean, that's sort of the Fair. extreme. No, no. I, I, I like that. I, I think that's a really salient point and an interesting one because that's a market that the NHL actually can grow in right now, as opposed to my sort of blanket statement that they can't. But like... I just don't uh, – first, first of all, I don't like rewarding failure, period. I think it screws up incentives. I just don't like it. it I, I, I have a natural distaste for it. And secondly, like I've done, I've done a research project that I'm going to drop at some point this week. But the – by the GSVA metric, so that's the game score versus average metric that Dominic LeCision at The Athletic uses to do all those projections and the Sedin Cup and those things that we love so much. Yeah. By that, by that metric, the first overall pick didn't end up being the best player at the top of his own draft class f- half the time between 2005 and 2015. So for every Patrick Kane and Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid that you got – there was an Eric Johnson or a Nail Yakupov or a Ryan Nugent Hopkins or, you know, even a Taylor Hall who doesn't show as well by the metric as Tyler Sagan who went next. You know, you look at the Canucks, the Canucks had the worst luck possible at the draft lottery every year for four years, enough that it's become like a running joke. Like it's actually part now of the lore sure of the curse of Canucks fans. Absolutely. And yet at five and seven, you know, they get the two best players probably of those respective draft classes, right? Like, that's but fine. That's a, like, that's a credit to a scouting staff that uh, razor sharp and obviously will stay intact for for many. <laughs> ma- oh, forget it. We've oh, covered well. that. Up. <laughs> so, so much for that one. But the, <laughs> but you know the the. <laughs> first of all, I can hear the rejoinder uh, in my ears, which is you know. Um, the scouting staff gets credit for PD at five. What? Like, <laughs> um, but the, but the, uh, <laughs> no, the, when you, when you sort of zoom back, like the first overall pick is magic in terms of the excitement that it creates, but it's not magic in terms of the value it actually gives your team. And not all first overall picks are created equal. Although they are for the sake of marketing and, and selling season tickets. And, you know, I just don't have a problem at all with making sure that a team that's bad for four or five years, like, 
isn't guaranteed better than the fourth or fifth overall pick. Like, I think that's fine. You're still picking in the top five. You're still getting a guy you should feel very confident about being a star or a star-adjacent level player. And, you know, when you look at some of the teams that were tanking in the five years, ten years prior to the draft lottery being changed after Boston, or sorry, after Buffalo and the Arizona Coyotes uh, sort of ruined it for everybody, if you look at those teams, like, just getting a run of players at two and three and one and two, you know, like the like the Blackhawks did, like the Kings did, like the but like also like teams like the Florida Panthers, my former employee did, my employer did, right? Like Good Branson three, worst top five pick of the last twenty years. Um Eric Aaron Eckblad one, Jonathan Huberto three, Sasha Barkov two, like and they're still not good. Yeah. You know, like to some extent it's okay to discourage uh, or, or not to avoid rewarding a team that inept to the extent that the NHL used to, because it's not even a, to some extent too, you might be risking putting players into situations where, you know, they're going to organizations that are congenitally unable to win for reasons that have nothing to do with the talent on the ice. And like, that's a good, that's a bad thing for the league too. So look, I hate the draft lottery. I loathe it. Um, uh, at least the way that it's currently constructed doesn't, give too big an advantage to teams at the very bottom of the league. I think that's a good thing. It's one of the very few incentives things that the league has right. And I think it was worth protecting for all that I sort of side-eye it. Um, I don't think this outcome's a bad thing. And I, I think we're being a little precious about it as, as a group, the hockey commentariat. No, I, look, I just think the numbers could be tweaked a little bit. Uh, but you're still going to – all the things you said will still exist. It's just that the odds – uh, would be a little bit better for some of those bad teams, but it still doesn't guarantee anything once those ping pong balls bounce around. And maybe my favorite moment of the other night was when Bill Daly got to the podium with that stack of cards. The minute it was revealed that he had eight cards, it was like, game on, let's go, because you knew at that point that a placeholder yes. had won. And then, you know, the reveal started and the entry... Like, I, I thought it was wildly entertaining on Friday. I, like, I agree. You know, I was losing it. Yeah, no, I, I can totally understand that. I was just sitting in my own living room by myself. I don't know that I lost it necessarily, but but I was wildly entertained as the reveal happened and it took oh. me back. Like One of my favorite things, the last bunch of years, we've done draft lottery parties because that's all we've had in Vancouver. And we would take you know radio shows out on location. Um, did it at the pint a couple of years ago. And <laughs> you know the, the minute that the Euler card came up, this big cheer would go up in Vancouver because it meant that yeah. the Oilers didn't have the first overall. But then the minute that the Canuck card gets flipped, there's this massive audible groan and then a beeline for the door. Like people are done. And so right. the fact that we knew there was a placeholder in the mix, in the deck of cards, and you just didn't know where it was, uh, and the deeper it got, the better it got, obviously. So, um, you know, look, we're talking about it. People have been talking about it since Friday. I mean, maybe that was the only downside was, uh, you know, late on a Friday night wasn't the best time to generate a ton of buzz, but it carried through the weekend and in the absence of games being played. It's going to be talked about for a while. And to oh, your point... You for know, years! Six, six, well, and right, in the here and now, though, 16 yeah. teams all still believe that they've got a shot, and what a consolation prize. If you don't win your play-in, you know, you fall back into this lottery. But one thing that you mentioned, you know... <laughs> yeah, when the you, stakes you, of a five-game series could not be higher now, right? Like, it's well, amazing. Let's talk about that in a sec. But you yeah. had mentioned earlier about, you know, making a good team 
even better right away, whether it is Pittsburgh or Toronto or, dare I say, Edmonton. Like, keep in mind, one of Calgary or Winnipeg is losing, right? Like, they're playing each other. They're two right. pretty good teams. Like, they're both in pretty good states relative yeah. to many teams <laughs> in the <laughs> I mean, Lafreniere, from a Winnipeg perspective, right? Lafreniere is not too top four defenseman, so I'm not too worried about the impact that another elite forward's going to have on a team that, you know, that's not their issue anyway. But no, yes, but you I, stock, I see you what stockpile, you're saying. You stockpile forwards, it, it gives you flexibility. It gives you options. Yes. Maybe you can pedal one and address yeah, needs fair. elsewhere. I, I'm just saying, like, you know, these are, look, two years ago, the Winnipeg Jets were the sexiest pick to be the Stanley Cup champs. And I, I get what's yes. happened to the right side of their defense, but they still have a ton of firepower and a ton of talent up front. And you'd be adding another piece to that, a significant piece to that puzzle. So just like yeah. when I look at those first round matchups, you know, and, and keep in mind too, like if from a Canucks perspective, you don't want. Alexi Lafreniere winding up in your division. Like, Calgary has no. a shot. Arizona could get, you know, Arizona possibility that they don't win, and they go into the mix there. So And they have Taylor Hall, so they're definitely winning a lottery if they're involved. <laughs> right. Yeah. The magic of Taylor Hall when it comes to, to draft lotteries. So, you know, there's a ton of ways to look at it. Like, I've seen a lot of people over the weekend talking about, you know, what's the worst case scenario? I'm not sure that a lot of people have sort of framed it in what's the worst case scenario from a Vancouver Canucks perspective yeah. if it doesn't go their way. And look, I know this fan base well enough. And I've seen a lot of people say the worst case would be Minnesota, right? Like the Canucks beat Minnesota, Minnesota goes into phase two, and Minnesota wins because that would have been the Canucks pick right there. That's too simplistic. It doesn't work that way. Like, no. I, sorry, that, that's parallel universe stuff and... If Minnesota's in a draw, it means the Canucks aren't in a draw. If the Canucks were in a draw, that's a different set of lotto balls. It's not, you know, it, it, you just can't say, like, look, there's yes. a ton of things that have to happen. But to me, it's too simple. You can't just say, if Minnesota wins first overall, that would have been the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, agreed. And you know what? As, as you're talking this through, and I, I like the way that you framed a lot of this, like, you know, to quickly touch on Winnipeg-Calgary, like, if there's two organizations in Western Canada, whose process I think is worth admiring. You know, I have honestly zero problem with a team like Winnipeg that's, you know, essentially tried to ape the Nashville model and to some extent has done it better than Nashville. Um, that is, you know, drafted just about as well as any team in the league. Uh, that has created this style of play where they're just about the best team at, uh, you know, creating like high danger scoring chances in the slot. You know, some really unique players, guys like Blake Wheeler, who I'd like to see get another chance on a really good team. Uh, boy, that does not trouble me at all. Like, I, I'd be fine with that. Same with Calgary. I think Calgary's done a lot of things right. Um, you know, I, I'd have no issue seeing the Flames get rewarded in a weirdo situation like this. Secondly, as, as you talk it through, I realize, like, the game of hockey is so subject to variance. You know, one of the classic things, like we literally hear Travis Green say this 8,000 times a year. <laughs> and it's, we really don't worry too much about the things we can't control, right? That's like the thing that he says more than anything else. And, you know... It, just let me stop you for a second. Is it, is it wrong for me to say I miss I miss hearing him say that? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I do too. Especially, especially as a response to a well-thought-out question that I was hoping for a good quote <laughs> to. Uh, but the, <laughs> the um, you know, the there is a truth or a big idea behind that comment as often as we hear it, which is that, you know, 
you're going to drive yourself nuts if you worry about all the stuff that can happen in a game of hockey. Like, how many big games have we seen get decided by deflections or a weird penalty call or a weird non-call or a weird bounce off a skate or uh, a bounce off a skate and should the skate have been in the crease if you're talking about the Buffalo Sabres? I mean, just hockey is a game that's more than any other sort of subject to the whims of the hockey gods and they're jerks and I actually kind of like that this draft lottery sort of apes that and then the final thing is think about the stakes now of these five game series like we haven't seen hockey teams play a five game series since what the mid 80s like it's been a while and now all of a sudden the reward for winning a five game series is akin to being, you know, a 96, 97 point team over 82 games. So that's the reward. You make the playoffs. Unbelievable. That's a huge incentive. The losing team, however, is going to get what would be the equivalent of finishing what? 26th, 27th in the NHL in terms of their draft lottery odds. Like it's just crazy. Like the dramatic swings that these qualifying round teams are going to go through now. Just wild. Just so much fun. Um, sign me up. I actually, the more the more I've thought about it, the more I work through it mentally, the more excited I am about the chaos it introduces. I think it's a chaos that quite neatly matches the whims and the variance inherent in the game we love so much. I'm all for it. I love it. I, I didn't think I would when I first saw the NHL placard come up in Bill Daly's hand on Friday, but over the weekend, I've more than talked myself into it. I'm excited about it. Uh, it's one of the best things I've seen in hockey in a long time. All right, so let's dive right into this idea that you know it didn't take long after placeholder E or whatever it was was revealed as the first overall pick. Uh, there were questions being asked on the radio uh, online you know, what should Canuck fans want more? You know, a, a win in the play-in or 12.5% odds of the first overall pick? And the answer, it, like, there is no debate here. There, like, fine, people can kick it around, and that's what social media is for, but put, your, put, put yourself in Travis Green's shoes. Travis Green needs a new, needs a new contract. Travis <laughs> Green is there to win hockey games. Jim Benning has missed the playoffs four straight years. It is a ridiculously short list in pro sports, the number of managers who have overseen teams that have missed the playoffs in five consecutive years. Jim Benning needs the playoffs as well. Like, he's not completely out of the woods. We've kicked this around as well. And so this notion that somehow the Vancouver Canucks would even entertain the idea of throwing their playoff series. Travis Green's putting his future in the hands of the lottery balls with a 12.5% odds where 87.5% tells you you're not going to win that second lottery. Like Travis Green's doing everything he can and has throughout this pandemic to prepare for a chance to coach in the playoffs. And players certainly aren't going to tank. That's not the way they're wired. So again, I get the discussion point and for fans have at it, but also know full well that you are so far off base and out to lunch with the idea <laughs> that this is something that the Vancouver Canucks would even consider. Yes. No, no, no one would ever consider like no one, no one wants to lose. Just no one wants to lose, especially in a sport like hockey. But I will say, I think fans should have at her for the discussion point. Like the team, it's not a consideration for the team, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be for you. Like, if you want the team to tank and get a good pick and you want to rile up 
fans who disagree with you online, like, go for it. What else have you had? You know, like, <laughs> I, I say go have fun. It's completely ridiculous. And, and I think in I think most of the people advocating for, like, my our co- athletic colleague Mike Russo to start in goal. I don't know. Did you see his poll? Yeah. <laughs> start Russo in goal. Like, the, for, for team start Russo in goal – and and I like that. I like the idea of applying that for Canucks fans, right? It's like the t- team tank wants Russo nowhere near the net. <laughs> um, for 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 team start Russo in goal. Like how fun? But I I'm pretty sure most of you know you're doing it tongue in cheek, right? I I'm hope pretty so. sure it's just I hope fun. So. I think it I mean, is. And look, Vancouver has crazy. seen it, and I'm sure you saw it when you were in Florida. But I mean, for years, like that whole you know, tank nation movement here in Vancouver. Like it still has legs, but this one is sort of out of your control. Like you can wish it all you want. It's just, it's not going to happen. No. And and look, I think the other, there's other things to consider. Like if the Canucks lose the qualifying round, they keep that first uh, round pick, right? In which case they, you know, have a, have a, pick that we have no idea what the value of of it will be for the 2021 NHL entry draft like I'd probably rather have the I'd probably rather lock in my costs for JT Miller and surrender you know a pick that's 88% likely to be in the middle of the first round than go into next season with that hanging over my head if I was if I was a manager right like if I if I'm the Canucks whatever happens if I can lock in the value, the fixed value of that pick, like, let's go. That's that's what I want to do. I want to get out from under that sort of liability and and move forward knowing that, like, hey, I traded a mid-first-round pick for a first-line power forward. Like, so what? Let's go. Uh, that's sort of what I'd want, and, and I think that's what the Canucks want. Uh, it's ridiculous, but it's fun. And, you know, I think we're the big winners in this, J-Pat. Like, we have something that will probably fuel – conversations on radio it'll feel four hits a day for you man like we're gonna be able to we're gonna be able to flap our gums and and posture and castigate and you know uh do some gatekeeping i mean all that bad stuff like we can all get into that now uh because of this result and it'll probably give us material for weeks well speaking of material and i saw that you had reported over the weekend that uh, ice is going back in at Rogers Arena, so that's a development. Can't play mm-hmm. hockey without ice. Uh, so it sounds like the team might be prepared here to move into Phase 2, uh, with Phase 3 obviously not far behind. But mm-hmm. uh, we heard from many corners that players from Europe were coming back to North America over the weekend, that American players were trying to make their way uh, back into Vancouver. So, you know, the, the the team had said for a while here, for the last couple of weeks, while others were moving into phase two, that there just weren't enough bodies to warrant ice at Rogers Arena and then an official uh, entry in phase two with all the protocols that come along with that. But uh, certainly sounds like that may be something we see from the Canucks as early as this week. Yeah, no, uh, I'd expect them to enter phase two this week. I mean, there's a lot of work still to do in terms of devising the groups, in terms of making sure all of the COVID-19 safety and you videos get watched by the players and the education sessions, which I'm not kidding about, uh, you know, occur. So uh, some work to be done. But, you know, Adam Gaudet, I think, revealed on his uh, when he was streaming video games online that he's back. So Americans and Swedes appear to have returned um, and, you know, I also did see Bo Horvat's family uh, had their kid 
on yeah. Instagram to, to, to this morning too. Gunnar Horvat, congratulations to the Horvat clan. I'd imagine that's some quality timing for them. Um, you know, in that Horvat got to be there before sort of professional obligations got in the way. Uh, not that he, you know, I, I want to frame this right. Like, obviously, <laughs> the family stuff matters the most, especially <laughs> at a time like this. But, you know, I, I, I'm sure Horvat, with how serious he is about his job and, and his role as captain, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was nice to have that happen. And, and I'm glad that everyone's healthy and, and well. Uh, so congratulations to the Horvats. But, yeah, I mean, look, I think the Canucks will be on the ice soon. And then training camp's, what, 10 days away? 11 days away? I mean, we're down to brass tacks here. And good. Like, it's going to be fun. I, I'm really excited to see it. And I'm wondering, I'm fascinated to see how we're going to cover it on a live stream, JPAD. It's going to be so weird. But uh, Canucks training camp, I'm, I'm expecting, like, the club's gotten off to pretty hot starts the last three years under Travis Green. A hot start could mean an awful lot to this franchise um, here in, in sort of late July, early August. So, you know, I don't expect training camp to look all that different from what we've seen over the past few years, just without the sort of preseason games against other teams. Like, I, I think they're going to scrimmage hard. I'd, I'd expect three, four days of, of bag skates, of the beep test when, when the players get back. Um, you know, I think they're going to, I think they're going to run things pretty similarly, keep it pretty free flowing, uh, get technical in the last 10 days. Like, I, I think we're going to see something like that. And I think it'll be fascinating to watch it all unfold. No, I'm with you. And and look, we like training camp in Victoria was four days. We were in Victoria for four days watching the Canucks, and then it's into mm-hmm. the extended preseason. You know, now they're going to have more training time, which obviously they're going to require because guys usually skate on their own in August, and then you know get back into town, have some of September to skate before training camp officially begins. So you know these guys are going to hit the ground. I would imagine those first few days there will be a lot of skating just to try to shake out the cobwebs and try to find out where people's fitness is. And and I'm with you uh, in the absence. Uh, and and you know at one time it was reported there would be two exhibition games. Uh, then Larry Brooks said just one. Uh, if that's the case, then I think scrimmage will be massive and massively important too to uh, figure out who's uh, game ready and, and who still needs some work. And, you know, there are some decisions. A guy like Furland obviously is a wild card in all of this. So really going to be interesting to see Michael Furland back on the ice in Canuck colors and sort of where he fits in. And, uh, you know, the first day that Travis Green kind of rolls out line combinations, uh, obviously that'll give people a fair bit to chew on. And, and just to your you know, uh, echo your comments about the Horvat family. Congrats to to Bo and Holly. And it's nice finally after you know all season talking about the losses that Canuck players have endured with their fathers. It's uh, nice to be able to report on a Canuck player becoming a father for the first time. And, um, but that was going to be to me that was a really interesting t- test case because the baby was due, and, and Bo told us on one of those Zoom calls that like mid to late July, and so mm-hmm. I really wanted to see how that was going to play out with a training camp and with the bubble, and you know, would he be able to come and go, or would he just not come to training camp until the baby was uh, here and healthy and all that kind of stuff, so this is a really good bounce for, for Horvat and the Canucks that, you know, the baby's here, he can spend better part of 10 days bonding with the family and then still be able to hit the ground running with the rest of his teammates because we know how important Bo Horvat is to the Vancouver Canucks, uh, especially at play-in or playoff time of year. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, that's one thing, one less thing that the Canucks and Horvat have to worry about now as they uh, move forward closer to the start of Phase 3. 
I know we haven't done Name That Canuck for a couple of episodes, and some people have asked where it's gone. It's coming back. Hang in there. We'll get to that uh, to finish up in a sec. But I just want to throw this one out there as well. If people, are you a business owner? Do you control the marketing budget for your company? Uh, we'd love to partner with you and let people know that your business is up and running during COVID, or maybe you have a product or a service that needs a promotional bump. Uh, we've got an engaged, highly engaged audience. Uh, Drance and I certainly uh, have a little social media uh, power as well that uh, we'd be happy to put to good <laughs> use. So, um, yeah, if you're just looking to think outside the box and want to uh, spread the word about your company or your products, your services, reach out. We're easy to find. You know where to find us, and uh, perhaps we can form some sort of relationship in that fashion. So just wanted to get that one out there uh, as well. Before we get into Name That Canuck, Scott Housen, the new president of the American Hockey League, is Mike Russo's guest this week on Straight from the Source at The Athletic. If you want to uh, check that out, just a shout out to another pod here at The Athletic. But uh, all right, uh, we haven't done this for a couple of weeks. Uh, we had Dolly Wall, and I can't remember what the other reason was, but uh, took a little bit of a break. But uh, Name That Canuck has returned, and uh, it's your chance to make me look foolish. Uh, I don't need a lot of help in that regard. Uh, you certainly have done that enough over the weeks that we've been doing this Name That Canuck, <laughs> but uh, you are the clue master, uh, and we'll see if uh, I can uh, get my mind to wrap around the clues that, that you have for me. All right. Maybe you'll get lucky here. Ready? All right. J-Pat, I'm not sure if you know this, but the Canucks in the 1970s, they were really bad. In I've fact, heard. on a team where the best players, Don Lever, Dennis Kearns, etc., were in the minus to the tune of minus 140 or worse over the course of the decade, only three players that appeared in over 50 games finished with a positive plus minus. Of those three players, this player was the only one to have a plus mi- to have a plus minus both be in the black and in double figures. Name that Canuck, JPEG. Oh, uh, Andre Boudreaux. It, it is not. Okay. All right, number two. This player, this player is one of the few players to play for both the Canucks and the Buffalo Sabers in the 1970s. Um, most of those players, by the way, were involved in the same blockbuster deal in 1974. Uh, so he came to Vancouver in exchange for Jocelyn Gouvernement and a guy named McSheffrey that year. Oh, Jerry Korab? Nope. All right. Third clue. Okay. Uh-oh. So following his playing career, this player was a longtime member of the Buffalo media pool, Right on the radio side, on broadcast, and occasionally served in as a fill-in for ex-Canucks GM slash coach Harry Neal. And when he was retired, he was replaced by ex-Canucks forward Brad May. Oh, you bring Radio guy. Radio guy. Yeah. No, I know. I should know. Uh, I'm just trying to think of guys that played for the Canucks and the, the Buffalo Sabres. Um, No, see, you're putting me in the spot because this is the final clue, and and I, I don't want to be the guy that gets shut out. But um, uh, no, I'm sorry, man. Uh, well, the first clue sucked. I mean, there was no way I was ever going to get some guy that had positive plus minus in <laughs> 1972. That was a shitty I clue. Thought, I thought by going to the radio, you'd yeah. well, not a positive plus minus for for the decade. For the decade. 
I also gave you a bonus clue on the lead-in when I suggested that you might get lucky. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even have a guess. Like that's the problem. I feel bad. I feel so bad. You should. It's, it sucks. You to should. Not. Yeah. Fair. I, I'm just. I'm blanking. And I, I. No worries. Uh, I mean, so it goes. I guess you, you'll just have to come up with a really, really hard one. Like there's nothing so oh, hard that me, you I'm, can't trust do. Trust me. I will now. Yeah. yeah no. You'll get your revenge. I'll, I'll tell you who it is though. It's Mike Robitaille. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I thought you'd get it with the radio side. Excuse me. Yeah, just not uh, well-versed in the history of the Buffalo Sabres radio broadcasts. Uh, Fair enough. All right, feeling great shame to start the week. <laughs> I didn't like that one. Yeah. No, I. Okay. you know what? It, I, it, look, I mean, part of the game is to make sure the person gets it on the third yeah. one, right? Like, you apparently, don't want the person not. to whiff. Apparently yeah, well. not. My bad. My yeah. bad. Could right. I have said anything that would have helped you get Mike Robitaille, or was this just too obscure all around? Uh, hmm. Like the get lucky was like a reference to Luke Robitaille? Is that... Yeah, I thought that would help. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it didn't. Um, I don't know. I, I, I have to revisit your clue. I can't even remember what the second clue is now. Something about he played for Buffalo and Vancouver. but Yeah, anyway. and he was... Yeah, I gave you the trade. I'm just trade. thinking my... I, I, I'm digging myself a bigger hole here. I just want to move on yeah. past this one. Yes, so. okay. We'll, we'll, we'll put yeah. in the rearview mirror. Come come bring the high heat on uh, yeah. on Friday. I'm Googling obscure Vancouver Canucks <laughs> right now as we, uh, as we speak. So. Uh, Fair all right. enough. Well, we'll leave it at that. It, it started well. It didn't end so well. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, such man. is the nature of uh, the game show. Um, Yikes. You know, hey, I'm a little rusty. Maybe that's my excuse. We haven't done this yeah. for uh, a couple of totally. weeks. Totally. So. And likewise, right. likewise. Okay, well, the next time, look, next time we do this, we'll be into the month of July, which is crazy to even think about. But uh, Canada Day coming up on Wednesday. We won't record before then, so happy Canada Day to all of our Mm -hmm. listeners. Again, we appreciate uh, all of your support for the podcast. Uh, Thank you for hanging in there with uh, with us, uh, even through these down and dark times. But uh, hopefully hockey is just around the corner. Check out the comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. I'm not talking to Drance now until the next time that we record the VanCast. So I'm putting them on. I'm putting on a blast. I'm freezing Sorry, them out for bud. a few days here. Uh, that's going to do it for us here. No, that's it. That's it. We're done. Yeah, no. The van- fair, fair. Bye. The, van- <laughs> <laughs> the last ever episode of the VanCast. Yeah, Creative exactly. differences. It was, it was fun. Fun while it yeah. lasted. No, we'll be back later in the week. The VanCast here at TheAthletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>